Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to help with a project for Life University. The goal is to describe the difference between full spine technique and Gonstead. If you don't know, the Life U full spine course is heavily influenced by Gonstead, so this task is more difficult than it might be at some other schools. The task got me thinking about the differences on some very fundamental areas. One of the concepts that came out of this challenge was the concept of trying to create motion versus removing subluxation. This is a difference that the more I began to unpack it, led to some pretty important understandings of what it means to be a chiropractor. So today I'd like to talk with you about the difference between creating motion and correcting subluxations. When I was a student, I was part of a core Gonstead group that had about 10 people or so in it. Many of them were very committed. I don't think it would be a misstatement to say that several of them were more committed than myself at that point. Today, it's only myself and one other person from that group that practice Gonstead. Some of them don't even practice chiropractic anymore. I saw that the falloff rate was very fast and dramatic, with most of them falling away in the first few years of practice. It bothered me at the time, and I wanted to figure out how this could happen and what could be done to change it. In that initial phase of figuring it out, I made an observation that surprised me at first, but later it made a lot more sense. I noticed that my classmates and friends who fell away did so because of one little compromise that they made with themselves. I heard several of them voice it out loud, so that's why I knew that it was at the root of the problem. They would say, usually in reference to cervicals, something along the lines of, I'm always going to try Gonstead first, but if I can't get it, then I'll just do it supine so I can create movement. A bad adjustment is better than no adjustment. I disagreed with the last part of that statement the very first time that I heard it. I don't believe that a bad adjustment is better than no adjustment. There are times, based on skill level, when no adjustment is the best thing you can do for that patient. I also knew from my sports life that if you give yourself an out, it's only human nature that you're going to take it every single time. The only way to avoid taking shortcuts is to eliminate them as an option. So from day one, I swore to myself that I would never do a diversified move, and I eliminated every option of a shortcut or a bailout. If that means I'm embarrassed, then I'll be embarrassed. If that means I don't get to adjust them, then I don't adjust them. The embarrassment of not getting the job done is the most powerful motivator I have for learning how to get it done. Over the years, this approach created a gap that has only gotten wider over the years. As I thought about it more, I came to realize that the difference wasn't just a difference in thought, action, or even commitment, but it was a difference in definition of what it means to be a chiropractor. So let me ask you, what is the purpose of a chiropractor? The right answer is that we detect and correct subluxations. However, I went to a school where we were not allowed to even use the word subluxation. And I know that I'm not alone in that. If you remove the concept of subluxation, then what is the purpose of a chiropractor? Well, you have to have some purpose if you want people to come to your school. So it's a really slippery slope to reach the point where your purpose as a chiropractor is to create motion, essentially to unstick stuck joints, if you will. I saw that many, if not most, of my classmates fell into this trap, even if their goal was to become a Gonstead doctor. If you are a Gonstead doctor, but your view of chiropractic is to create motion, you'll become disillusioned very quickly 
because you're going to fail to get the results that Gonstead doctors are known for. That's because the real magic of the Gonstead system is the five-point evaluation of visualization, static palpation, motion palpation, instrumentation, and x-ray. It's been increasingly brought to my attention by patients that most chiropractors aren't even doing an assessment anymore. They just pop and pray. If you think about the movement model, then this does make some sense to me. If I'm only trying to find a lack of motion and then force the motion I feel is lacking, then why not put the patient on the table, feel for the motion or the lack thereof. If any motion is lacking, then just force that motion into the spine. The problem is that I've also been hearing from patients that that method does not create results and it certainly doesn't make miracles. For some reason, it seems that subluxation has been oversimplified to a simple lack of motion or kinesiopathology if you want to pretend to be intellectual about it. This is why subluxation is such an important concept, because it's multifactorial. Fixation alone does not create a subluxation, even though a subluxation will involve fixation, but the subluxated vertebra might not be the most fixated vertebra. I think this is a simple concept that's often overlooked. Overlooked because of the subtle influence of the creating motion philosophy. The most fixated vertebra is no more guaranteed to be a subluxation than is the most posterior segment. I guess the point is that I know how easy it is to catch yourself thinking, I just need to create some movement here. The idea isn't altogether wrong. But subluxations are much more mysterious than this. This is due in large part to the presence of compensations. Compensations are not often considered in most technique systems or in the chiropractic creates motion crowd. If we go back to the five-point evaluation, we can consider this for a moment from this superiority of movement position. If we're simply trying to unstick stuck joints, then why would we need an x-ray? You can't see a stuck joint, a fixation, or aberrant movement pattern, or any such entity on an x-ray. This is the explanation for why there are some in our profession who would seek to abolish our x-ray rights. It simply doesn't make sense to them that anyone would need an x-ray because in their model, x-rays don't get you to the conclusion they're looking for. It's a pretty arrogant position, but I can understand that they think that if there's no value for them in the x-ray, then there's no value for you either. Again, it is an arrogant position, but I do see how they can get there. John Maxwell used to say that when he would meet with his leadership team, the first question he would ask them is, what am I missing? This is a question I find myself asking almost daily. I wish more in the profession would ask this question before they attempt to change chiropractic to suit their own desires and needs. What about instrumentation? If you're merely trying to unstick stuck joints, what purpose would instrumentation serve? In the motion model, neurological correction is not a major concern beyond the general belief that all adjustments or manipulations have a net positive effect on the nervous system, although this benefit cannot be adequately defined or predicted. Static palpation is also not of much use because we're not looking for a defined joint lesion but more of a decreased movement pattern. We can throw out the disc degeneration model and the foundation principle and especially the compensation model. The only thing that matters from segment to segment is does it move and is that movement symmetrical? What you can clearly see is that the movement paradigm reduces the physical assessment to motion palpation alone. As we look at the current state of the profession, this is mostly what we see. We should not under underestimate the influence this way of thinking can have on our own thoughts and behaviors if we're not aware of the difference and hold fast to what we know is true. I believe this is a major motivator for why and how people 
fall away after graduation. I think there's another reason people fall away, and that's failure to get the results they expect. This also has a connection to the movement paradigm. I was recently on Instagram. I'm a bit of a masochist, I know. There was a chiropractor explaining the importance of chiropractic adjustments because they free up the facet joints and allow for proper movement. Okay, is facet syndrome a real thing? Yes. It's caused by a segment going extra inferior. When this happens, you simply lift the segment further. In other words, there's a longer I to S segment before you go P to A. Now here's the thing. Does facet syndrome cause nerve pain? This is a bit of a trick question because the inferiority causing the facet syndrome does not cause nerve pain. But the disc injury caused by subluxation can and usually will. This is the source of the confusion and it plagues so many when they see a C7 facet syndrome accompanied by a C7 radiculopathy. It's easy to see how someone might be confused into thinking that the facet syndrome is the cause of the radiculopathy. The catch is that when you do one of these diversified moves that target the facet joints, you'll find that it has little to no effect on the radiculopathy or the neuropathy. We know that if you set the segment P to A with precision and you lift I to S enough to correct the facet syndrome, you will see a decrease in the radiculopathy in as little as one or two adjustments. Targeting the facet joints will always lead to disappointing results. But what about the scenario where you're targeting the disc but fail to get results? In this scenario, it's probably because you're getting too much facet and not enough disc. Some discs are very accommodating, and some discs are extremely demanding, and they demand precision. The thing I want to stress here is that if you are a student or a young doctor, or even if you're an old doctor, as I find myself fighting this urge on a daily basis, you have to purge from your mind the idea of creating motion, as it's just simply too simplistic. Our goal is not to simply create motion, is to correct the alignment and the function of the vertebra, disc, and nucleus. The end result of this is improved motion, but not improved motion at any cost or under any circumstance. The problem with motion chiropractic is that there's no healing phase. You'll also find that freeing a facet joint without disc correction will put you in a position where you have to do it again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Why? Because there was never a correction of the disc, the primary weight-bearing structure, and the functional unit of the spine. The facet joints are merely guiding joints. The very problem with facet syndrome is that the facets are forced to bear weight, and that shows you how poorly they can do it. Does the fact that you set the patient in a chair and attempt to adjust the patient from behind guarantee that you are immune from adjusting the facets or guarantee that you'll adjust the disc? No, of course not. Especially when first learning this technique, it is so tempting to reach for some kind of lockout before you thrust. Every form of lockout occurs at the facet joints. The discs won't do that. A few weeks ago, Jeff Lawler mentioned that he was taught patient relaxation was an essential component of the adjustment. Think about your cervical adjustments. Is patient relaxation essential? If you do your cervical adjustments without any regard for patient relaxation, it's a good bet that you're getting more facet than you intend and less disc than you intend. You can also listen to the sound that it makes. We often talk about the G note, which is that deep thunk sound the vertebra makes when you adjust the disc. If you get several clicks with no thunk, then you're getting facets and not the disc. If this happens, don't tell yourself the patient's better off because you created movement. The patient's not better off because you failed to correct the subluxation. This is the harsh conversation you have to have with yourself because nobody else is there to hold you accountable. 
And this brings me to the final element that I see as the difference between creating motion and correcting subluxations. This might seem like a bit of a reach at first, but stick with me here. Subluxation correction requires that you be principled. Principled is good, but just because a person ascribes to a set of principles does not mean that they actually follow them. The question is, how difficult does it have to get before you are willing to abandon your principles? For some people, it doesn't have to get very hard, and these are the people who will fall away first. We tend to think that it's only the external circumstances, but the unseen factor in all this is what we are made of on the inside as individuals. I told you at the beginning that I purposed in my mind that I would not compromise. I knew when I made that decision that I would never compromise because I had made that decision. Why? I knew my level of self-discipline and I knew it wasn't something I was born with, but it was something I had built in myself over time. As an example, I'm a night owl and I have been for most of my life. Fortunately for me, my wife and kids are as well. If left to my own devices, I will gladly stay up till midnight or later and sleep till 8 o'clock or later. Self-discipline does not come from doing what we do naturally. It takes discipline for me to go to bed early and to wake up early. Unfortunately for me, we have a Doberman Pinscher who wakes up with the sun, or sometimes even earlier, and she forces me to get out of bed and to attend to her. My initial reaction was to think, this dog hates me. She's trying to ruin my life. It's a natural tendency to think that way when discipline is unwillingly thrust upon us. But one day, I noticed a beautiful sunrise that I never would have seen if it wasn't for her. I realized that discipline is the pathway to experiences we would never have if we just did what comes naturally. Discipline is just one aspect of character or integrity, but it's probably the best indicator of commitment to the principle. It seems to me that some people are destined to fall away because regardless of how committed they are initially, to sustain the commitment requires a level of discipline, or I should say self-discipline, that's simply beyond their ability because they've never cultivated it. For this reason, and many books have been written about this, it's important to create a habit of doing things that are good for us, but don't come naturally as a way of building our self-discipline so we can sustain ourselves when the going gets tough. The Gossett system is arguably the most complicated system with skills that are the most difficult to acquire in all of chiropractic. For that reason, there will always be people who will give it a try, but then they fall away. My concern is making sure that you aren't one of those people. For that reason, I would advise you to build self-discipline into your life every chance you get. If you're a student, every semester or quarter is a chance to start again and create more self-discipline than you had the semester before. This might feel like busy work or torture at times, but I promise you, that the self-discipline you build during this time in school will directly translate into success over the long haul. My other caution to you is to avoid the dangerous slippery slope of thinking that your job is simply to create motion. Our job might be that easy if it wasn't for compensation. I have a patient who's having a problem with antalgia that has been giving me fits. The x-rays showed distortion of the spine, but very little in the pelvis. It showed an extremely posterior L5, but turns out that wasn't the problem either. I started with the right ilium as an EX, and that got her about 80% better. But then the results sort of stalled out. Over time, and some trial and error, I've come to the realization that she's one of those rare individuals that has a bilateral SI subluxation. I adjusted her yesterday, and I did a right ASEX and a PL sacrum. That was the most progress that we've made to date. 
The real reason her case has been so difficult is because her body is so remarkably good at compensating. The x-ray gives no clues. The scope gives no clues. Palpation gives no clues. If my only goal was to create motion, I could just manipulate anything on her. Almost anything will move, but it won't get rid of her antalgia or her right leg pain. Dr. Gonstead would say that results are diagnostic. I would add to that, the lack of results are also diagnostic. <laughs> Don't just try to create motion. Find the subluxation, and the compensation will help you to find it if you learn to read the compensations. I think these are issues that many people stumble over, and I know it caused me a great deal of confusion when I was younger. I remember in my early years that I would often have to ground myself by simply reminding myself to find the subluxation and fix it. It's simple and it's complicated. I know that many people worry about fake Gonstead doctors. I see that there are some who are doing their best, but their best just isn't very good, while others are trying to claim ownership of something that was never theirs to begin with. Then you have the issue of social media. The best Gonstead doctors with the most experience are nowhere to be found, while everyone in their first couple of years is using the platform to build their practice as quickly as possible. When I was in my first few years of practice, I suddenly had the epiphany that perception is reality. I'm old enough that I grew up with the Andre Agassi camera commercials where he would famously say that image is everything. At the time, most people took this as a statement of his own vanity. I saw a deeper meaning in it though when I suddenly realized that perception is reality. I say this because for the patient, their perception of chiropractic is the reality that they're going to act on. By acting on that perception, they cause their perception to become their reality. In that regard, our difficult mission is to change their perception based on our reality. I know that the divide that exists between the older generation and the younger generation exists because the best way to play into social media is to indulge the public's current perception rather than try to change it. You'll get a lot more followers that way. Most of the public thinks that chiropractors just create motion. They have no idea what we really do. Some people try to use their platform to change this perception, and others try to indulge it for the sake of easy money. I think there will always be both, but before you can change anyone else's perspective, you have to start by getting clear on your own. Well, I hope you found this to be helpful. Getting my thinking clear on what I was trying to do and what I'm trying not to do was one of the best exercises that I did in my early years of growing as a chiropractor. I hope this will help you to stay focused on your purpose and to communicate it well to your patients. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.